You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. We're in our fourth week in our series through the book of Titus. And what we like to do at this church, if you're new to Revolution Church or you've never been here before, is about 90 to 95% of the time, we like to preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. We feel like that is the best way for us to study Scripture together, and it forces us to do a couple of things. Number one, it keeps us from abusing certain subjects that we would in the flesh abuse. And secondly, uh, it also causes us to deal with difficult books of the Bible, difficult passages, and difficult subjects that we otherwise would not address. Uh, We're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today. We finished up chapter 1 last week, and we're going to go through the entirety of Titus chapter 2. And Titus chapter 2 is going to address every single person in here this weekend. About a year ago, uh, my family and I went on a vacation, and we rented an Airbnb. And the Airbnb on the outside where the driveway was looked like this. If you guys could put that first picture up, if you can see right there, Uh, That's what the Airbnb looked like, those big, huge windows with the blinds in the front. And uh, we left just about every day to go do some fun stuff, and we'd have to go to the store. And every time we left, we noticed something happened. I don't know if you can see it, but hit that next picture, guys. Poking her head through the blinds is our dog that we took with us. Every single time we left, our dog was sticking her head through the blinds and watching us. Every single time we came home, our dog was right there watching us. I posted this up on Instagram and put a caption, I'm always watching you. Well, what we're going to see today in Titus chapter 2 is, this is the idea of Titus chapter 2. Someone is always watching you. Someone is always sticking their head through the blinds to see how you're conducting yourself, your integrity, and what your conduct is like. Titus chapter 2 is all about the fact that every single one of us need to be good examples because people are watching us. In Titus chapter 2, Paul is going to address the behavior of six different types of people. He's going to talk to pastors. He's going to talk to older men, to older women, to younger women, to younger men. And then he's going to talk to bond servants. Let's start in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, and let's go verse by verse through this. We're going to try to get through the entirety of Titus chapter 2 today. Y'all with me? Say, I am. He starts with this, and keep in mind as he starts this, we've been through Titus chapter 1, and the first part of Titus chapter 1 was all about pastors and how they're supposed to act. Uh, The second part of Titus chapter 1 is all about qualifications of elders. And last week, all Paul talked about was false teachers. He gave some of the qualities of false teachers that we need to watch out for. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, speaking to Titus, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So the first group he speaks to is pastors. He's talking to Titus, who is a pastor himself, and 2,000 years later, this applies to pastors. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. Go back and watch the first three weeks, because as I said, chapter 1 was all about church leadership, pastors, elders, and so on. But he says this to pastors. One of the qualities you need to have is you need to be a teacher. You need to be a solid teacher. Verse 2, he continues, and he says, Teach the older men, everybody say older men with me, older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, 
and endurance. Now, of these six people groups, he starts with pastors first, but then he gets in to the older age groups, and he speaks to older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. Whether or not you're old or young can be a very subjective thing. We say stuff like, well, I'm young at heart. You know, my body wants to do it, but my mind is still young. Well, we've got to realize this weekend that you're going to fall into one of the categories we're going to discuss this weekend based on your age. In other words, there's old folks in here and there's young folks in here. So let me give you a test so that you can know which list applies to you this weekend. Is everybody with me say I am, okay? You're older in here, okay? You're in the category of older if you ever used something called the yellow pages. Now, if you're in here and you don't even know what the yellow pages are, see, I ask my kids all these on this test I'm giving you. Then, then you're younger, okay? If you're like, I don't even know, what are the yellow pages? My, one of my kids said, is that a post-it note? I don't know, you know what I mean? But if you've used yellow pages in your lifetime, you are older. You're older in here if you've ever played an original Atari, an original Nintendo, or an original Sega Genesis, okay, people? Okay, you're older. I'm just telling you. That was like 30, 40 years ago, okay, people? I'm just telling you. You're older in here if you have ever made or received a collect call. Anybody ever done that before? Y'all the old folks, okay, y'all? If you don't even know what that is, then you're younger, okay, y'all? So no, no sweat. We're not going to explain it to you, but you're younger. You know, it's amazing. My kids didn't even know what a payphone was the first time they saw one. They were like, what is that? And it's like, it's a phone. What do you do with that? In that vein, you're older in here if you even know what a rotary phone is, okay, y'all? You're older. If you're in here and you're like, I have no idea what a rotary phone is. What is that? You know what I mean? Then you are in the category of younger this weekend. You're in the category of older in here if you have ever used or made a burnt CD. A burnt CD. My daughter was like, a burnt CD? Does that mean you're like burned out on the music you're listening to or something like that? I don't know, you know what I mean? If you don't know what that is, or you've never used one of those, then you're probably in the category of younger. Okay, last one, last one. If you know what I mean when I use this phrase, then you're in the category of older, if you know what this phrase means. Dollop. Dollop. Okay, yeah, I know what dollop is. I mean, I asked my kids, do you guys know what dollop is? You know what they thought it was? They thought it was when you butt dialed someone. They literally were like, does that mean butt dialing? I'm like, no, you don't know. You're young, you know. Paul is going to point out in chapter 2 that there are differences between the more seasoned people of life and the people that aren't as seasoned. There's a difference in qualities that older people are to have and younger people are to have, because let's face it, we are different. Okay, y'all? I was thinking this week about how different we are. And I was just thinking about how physically we have differences and how, like right now, if I was to do this, okay? Yeah, yeah, you hear that? If you're under 40 in here, you don't think nothing of me standing up here on this thing like this. But if you're over 40 in here, you're thinking, he's going to hurt himself. Oh, Lord, Jesus, we pray for Pastor. He's about to die. 
If you're under 40 in here, the way you would get down from here is you would jump down and think nothing of it. If you're over 40 in here, there's no way you're jumping down from this thing because you're going to blow a knee out, you're going to crush a disc, your leg's going to do something funky, right? And you're going to like be laid up for days, if not weeks, and have to go to the doctor. If you're, under, if you're over 40 in here, in fact, the way you're going to get down is you're going to be very careful. Three points of contact. Boom. One leg at a time. Other leg down. Check to make sure everything's okay. And then release, right? Y'all that are younger don't get it. You don't understand it. Somebody that was like in their 60s between uh, last service and this service said, we ain't even getting up on that chair, Josh. Like we can't even get our leg up, so we don't even know what you're talking about standing up on something like that. We're different. And in chapter 2, Paul's going to tell us some of our differences and some of the qualities we need to have based on our life experience. He starts with older men. Older men in here, raise your hand if you're an older man. If you're sitting next to an older man, just raise your hand and point at him. Go like this, okay? Yeah, okay. Man, thank God for the older men at Rev Church. Thank God for the older men at Rev Church. Paul gives you a list of things that you're supposed to try to attain, qualities that you want in your life. First, he says, be temperate is what our translation says, but what it means is be level-headed. What this means is that when you're an older man, you should avoid overindulgence in any area. You should be free from excess of good things like work, medication, food, sex, things that aren't even necessarily evil, and you should have freedom from destructive things and addictive things like pornography and drugs. Those things should not be in your life. Secondly, he says older men are to be worthy of respect. Another translation would say that they're to be dignified. In other words, as you get older, you avoid becoming trivial or superficial on things. One translation says that older men should, should not, don't be unrespectable, in other words. Mark Twain said this once, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much the old man had learned in seven years. Amen, y'all? Even though maybe younger generations, you feel like they think you're ignorant, you're still worthy of respect. The third attribute that older men are to have is actually an attribute that's a fruit of the Spirit that actually Paul lists out with every single age group in Titus chapter 2 when he says older men are to be self-controlled. What this means is, is we're to be moderate, we're to be prudent, modest, restrained, and disciplined. And this absolutely, this quality applies to every gender and every age group. Older men are also supposed to be sound in faith. And when it says sound in faith, what it means is this is really an extension of verse 1 when it said pastors are to be teachers. The older men in the church, in other words, are supposed to know doctrine and be teaching the younger generation's doctrine, not just in words, but with their example because they're watching you. You're raising up young people in the church and assisting the pastor in teaching younger generations. He says, be loving or be sound in love, I believe is what our translation says. And the word for love there is the Greek form of love. There's four different Greek forms of love, and this is the type of love that's used to describe the kind of love Jesus has for us, agape love, a self-sacrificing love. In other words, older men are to think of others more than they think of themselves. 
In other words, older men are to come into the church and not complain about the new music that's playing because you like the old music or you, you like it this way or you like it that way. No, you're leading the way in loving people, thinking of others more than you think of yourself. You're sacrificing what you want and you desire and being an example to the next generations, if that makes sense. He says the older men are to be patient. Uh, one translation says to be sound in endurance. The Greek word is uh, spelled H-Y-P-O-M-O-N-E. And a better translation is older men are to have perseverance. Romans chapter 2, verse 7 says, to those who by persistence, same Greek word, persistence, perseverance, in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. One theologian said that perseverance is the best indicator of genuine faith during life and the crowning proof of authentic belief after death. Older men have perseverance in the faith. It's important that Paul gives us these qualities. Because our culture really tells us that older men really, and as you get older in general, what happens is you're just going to get critical. You're going to become cynical. I recognize that now I'm 43 and we started the church at 33 and I tend to be a little more cranky and I've got to fight this spirit of negativity. And, and even in some cases, older people are viewed as even lazy in our culture. But, but, but Paul says, no, no, no. Don't be those things. Be these things. You can do this. In fact, I would say uh, the best indicator of the way our culture views age could probably be summed up in this movie. You guys put that up. Anybody know what that movie is? What's the name of the movie? Grumpier Old Men. Hilarious. Great movie. Okay. But, but it's kind of like that. It's like, no. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Paul wants you to keep in mind that in Scripture, especially when you read through the Old Testament, Moses is 80 years old when God starts to use him. Caleb is 85 years old when God starts to use him. Most of the Old Testament patriarchs and heroes were used by God in their later years. And so you're an older man in here and you can't physically do what you could once do. You're not mentally as sharp as you used to be. Rest assured, people are watching you and the church absolutely needs you to fulfill these qualities because we are weaker without you. He continues in verse number three and he says, Likewise, teach the older women. Everybody say older women. Older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Older women in here, raise your hand. Mm, I, I go through this. Every time I do a sermon, I go through my sermon with my wife because she's a good filter for me. She's half of the stuff I'm going to say. She's like, you can't say that. Half the church will leave. You know what I mean? But uh, when I told her I was going to ask the older women to raise their hand, she went, oh, are you sure about that? I was like, absolutely. If you're an older woman in here, why in the world would you hesitate to raise your hand. You know why? Because our culture has made you feel like becoming more seasoned in life and becoming older is a negative thing. When Paul here is clearly telling us that one of the greatest advantages you have is the fact that you are more seasoned in life and that you are older. It's one of the greatest advantages your friends have is to be around you and your church has. We benefit from the fact that you are older, you know? I heard about these two ladies that were, I shouldn't tell this joke. I'm not, Brooke's not in here, is she okay? 
I heard about these two old ladies that were sitting in church, and one of them couldn't hear very good. And uh, the one that couldn't hear very good said, boy, that was a long service. My rear end fell asleep during that service. I sat here so long. And the other one that could hear good said, well, that makes sense. I heard it snoring during the service, you know. I don't know why I told you all that. I'm sorry. We told you all last week jokes are good. Amen, y'all. But forget what culture says. I don't want to be thought of as old. The Bible says your experience in life and age is an incredible advantage to you and everyone around you. Thank God for the older women at Revolution Church. Paul starts this verse out by saying likewise. Basically, long story short, when he uses the word likewise, what that does is it connects the older men's qualities and the, young, and the older women's qualities together. So older women, you're supposed to fulfill everything we just talked about with the older men. And older men, you're supposed to do everything uh, and all the qualities that he talks about with the older women. Uh, he says, be reverent. The Greek word for the word reverent, if you'll allow me to explain, it sounds pretty simple, but it's actually pretty cool when you get into it. It's a Greek word that's spelled H-I-E-R-O-P-R-E-P-E-S. I don't want to try to say that, but I want you to know that there is a legit Greek word that I'm getting ready to tell you. And what this phrase means is older women are to be fitting for the temple. This was a phrase that was used that spoke to the implements and furniture in the temple that were specifically created for service to God and were consecrated for that purpose. Now, God is not saying older women are furniture, okay? What he's saying is you have a purpose and you are consecrated for God. Older women, just like older men, are to behave like those specially reserved for service to the Lord because somebody is watching you. He tells them, don't be slanderers. And what that means is, be truthful. One translation says, don't be malicious gossips. Now, what's interesting is, is when you actually study the Greek, when he says, don't be malicious gossips and don't be slanderers, the Greek word that is used to describe this phrase is diablos. That sound familiar? It's one of the words used to describe Satan in scriptures as the accuser. So older women especially, listen to me, this is what the Bible's telling you and telling every single one of us. When you speak in a way about someone when they are not in your presence that does not elevate that person in the listener's ears and eyes, then you are functioning in a way like Satan does. That's how serious it is. You are a malicious gossip so don't be a malicious gossip, malicious gossip. Don't be a slanderer. Be a truth teller. Be truthful. He then says, be clear-headed. He uses the phrase, don't be addicted to much wine. And so that essentially means be clear-headed. Don't allow any chemical into your body that would control you physically, mentally, or emotionally. Some of y'all got a real problem. You go on Instagram and you got shirts that say it's wine 30 or whatever, you know, and, and like older women, listen, this is a thing in our culture. It's even exacerbated with social media that drinking a bunch of wine every single day and alcohol is like something that's not looked down on. It's celebrated. It says, be careful. Be ca I didn't say you can't drink. I'm not being extra biblical here. I'm just saying you don't drink wine. Uh, be, be addicted to much wine. You be clear headed. He then says, be a teacher. In other words, teach what is good. And remember that your teaching is not just based on the scriptures you know, the books you've read. It's based on your behavior. 
It's based on your example and how you carry yourself, older women, because the younger people are watching you. There's an extra, there's an extra uh, uh, quality for older women that's in the next verse that ties directly to how younger women are supposed to conduct themselves. In verse 4, it starts out by saying, then, speaking to the older women, then they, the older women, can urge the younger women. In other words, the older women can encourage the younger women. You can be an example, in other words, for the younger women and the girls in the church. Older ladies in here, listen to me. The younger women might not come to you and ask you for advice, but I promise you, I promise you, they are watching you. They are watching you. They are watching everything you do. They are watching everything you say. They are watching how you act in every single way. It continues in verse 4. Everybody still with me? Say, I am. And it says, then they can urge the younger women. Okay, everybody say, younger women. Younger women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled and pure. To be busy at home. To be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the Word of God. Younger women in here, raise your hand. Raise your hand if you're a younger woman in here. Raise it up. Come on, get it up there. Get up. Some of y'all are raising your hand for both. I don't get that. You know what I mean? But uh, thank God for the younger women at Revolution Church. Amen, Rev Church? Thank God for the young people at Revolution Church. It tells us that younger women are to love their husband. And what he's saying here is, Watch the way the older Christian women conduct themselves and the way they love their husbands and do what they do. That's what he's saying. Do what the older Christian women in the church do. It says, love your children. Again, just like you've seen the older Christian women love their kids and raise them in the Lord, that's how you are to raise your kids in the Lord. He says, be pure. He says the, tells the younger women to be pure. The Greek word used here for pure is the word hagnos. It actually is better translated holy. And what he's saying is younger women are to become like their older examples, reserved for God's holy purposes. You belong to the Lord. And he's also saying that you are a one-man woman, and that man is, in fact, your husband. He then says, be a homemaker, or one translation says, be busy at home, or be a worker at home. Now, when it says that, some Christian denominations and Christian churches would pull verses like this out of context and really butcher them and say things like, well, that means a woman can't have a job, and you've got to stay at home, and blah, 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 along with the next one that's coming up that has to do with submission to your husband. But that's not what it's talking about. It does not mean if a woman has a job, it threatens the integrity of the household. In fact, the Greek word that is used here is the same phraseology that's used in Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31, that talks about the virtuous woman. It literally means homemaker, and it's used in that similar fashion, so we can pick up on some of the qualities of what a homemaker does if we go to Proverbs chapter 31. Here's some of them. Uh, Proverbs 31 woman is powerful, is industrious, is a resourceful partner, takes care of her family's well-being, and is most concerned about building a family legacy. It tells the younger women to be kind. In other words, be gentle, be considerate, be gracious, be merciful. In other words, don't kill your husband and your kids. Y'all know what I mean? Younger women in here, don't kill your husband and don't kill your kids. Be merciful, be gentle to them. 
And then here's the big one for the younger women. Be subject to your husband. Every woman in here that's married, look at your husband right now and say, you? You know, you? Subject to you? What, what does that mean? Literally, it means submit to your husband. Now, submission, the definition of submission means to yield in one's will to the leadership and direction of another. When it comes to submission in the Bible, it really has more to do with an attitude than it does action. So when your attitude or the spirit that you have changes, then your actions will follow. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to start a series. It's going to be a two-week series. We're going to start it on Super Bowl Sunday called Super Showdown, Husband versus Wife. And what we're going to do in this series, so I'm not going to go into great detail on this because in a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to really unpack this. My wife's going to help me teach. And what we're going to do is we're going to tell the wives in here exactly what your husband needs from you. We're going to tell uh, the husbands in here exactly what your wife needs from you. And so in that series, you're going to hear me say something along the lines of, when it comes to submission, it has to do with an earned respect. And so your husband has an earned respect with you where you submit to him. What this does not mean is it does not mean that the wife is inferior to the husband. It does not mean that a wife should submit to every man. Specifically, it says here that you are to submit to your husband, not every single man that's maybe even in authority over you. It does not mean if your husband asks you to do something unbiblical, illegal, immoral, or unethical, you follow his leadership. More on that in a couple weeks uh, when we do our marriage series. Let's continue in verse 6. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Similarly, I can't say that word good. Similar, similar, similarly, everybody just say amen, okay? Similarly, we encourage the young men. Everybody say young men. Young men. To be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Younger men at Rev Church, shoot that hand up real quick. Let's see the younger men shoot that hand. Thank God for the young men at Revolution Church. You know how crazy it is that we have so many young men at Revolution Church, so many men in general. 70 to 80% of most churches are made up of women. Typically, only about 20 to 30% of a church is male. In our church, 50 to 60% of our makeup is male. That's crazy. If you've got your husband sitting next to you, or future husband, somebody you're courting sitting next to you, even if you don't think they're holy enough for you or whatever, number one, get over yourself because you ain't that holy either. And number two, you need to thank God. Because only typically, statistically, one out of every five or six women even have their husband in church with them today. So wives in here, you got your boyfriend with you that you're going to marry one day. When we leave here, you need to say, thank you so much for trying to follow Jesus. Okay, instead of, why don't you pray more? Rah, rah, rah. Don't nag him to death. Okay, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm trying. I'm getting ahead of myself. Two weeks be here for the, for the, for the uh, marriage series. But thank God for the younger men in here. Paul gives a list, but he backs up this list with something very important that, that he makes very clear with the younger men. He says, younger men are to be level-headed, be self-controlled. You don't, you don't act crazy on social media. You don't act crazy with your family. You're level-headed. You're, you're acting level-headed at work. You have integrity. 
There's no such thing as white lies to young men. Most young men in here figure that out the hard way in their job. You stretch the truth a little. You bear false witness a little. And it comes back to bite you in the rear end. You've never done that with your wife. We won't say that. But, uh, you know, men never stretch the truth when it comes to their wives, do we guys? So I hear the snickers. Nobody's like, we're making it uncomfortable in here, man. Two weeks is going to be good. Thirdly, he says younger men are to grow up. He says you're supposed to be serious. In other words, at some point, you got to grow up, guys. You know, I hear stuff in our culture like, you know, men's, young men just, they don't mature as fast as young ladies. They're typically about five to ten years behind young women. Well, why? Because we let them. We've created this stupid thing called adolescence in America, which does not exist in any other culture where we allow young men, and young women too, but young men specifically, they get to kind of be an adult and drive and live on their own, but we don't hold them to any standard of adulthood. He says, no, no, no. Young men got to grow up. You get a job. You love your wife. You work. You love your kids. You don't sit in your mama's basement and live with them till you're 45 years old and play video games all day long. I didn't say it. Uh, Video games all day long. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Nothing wrong with video games if you play video games, but if you're playing them all day long, grow up. Grow up. Because the guys that are grown up in the church are tired of cleaning your messes up. If I could say that in this church, in this service. Grow up seriousness, and then finally he says, watch your mouth. Young men should watch their mouth. They should have soundness of speech. Now, Paul uses a phrase when he's talking about young men, and at the beginning he says, set them an example. So Paul's making clear that when it comes to young men, young men in the church, this is the one group in the church that you can give them a list of things to do and say, do this and don't do this, but young men are never just going to follow what you say. They're going to follow your example. Every single man in this room, you are who you are today because you emulated the example of another man or several men in your life. Even if you didn't have a dad in the home with you, you emulated someone. When I was in middle school, I emulated Dr. Dre. I know I don't look like him, right? I emulated Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. I was trying to emulate some other man. And so Paul is here saying, set them an example because you can't just preach at them. You gotta have, you gotta be living this stuff out. They're watching you, they're gonna emulate you. Be an example, Titus. Show them how to model their lives after Christ. Teach them how to slow down. Help them understand how to shut their mouths when they should and control their anger. Teach them that chasing after greed is empty and so is their own ambition. Teach them how to not let their hormones control them. Teach them how to be good stewards of money that God gives them instead of wasteful idiots. Make sure they can hold their own in a theological discussion about God. Show them how to think of others more than they think of themselves so they can grow up to be incredibly awesome Christian men. You can't just tell them, you got to show them. You know, speaking of uh, old things that some people in here remember, there was a drug commercial in the late 80s and early 90s, and all the people that are on team old people like me, you'll remember this. If you guys will play that, don't need to turn the lights off, just play that commercial for me. If it has, there we go. 
going to do this stuff. You Anybody remember that commercial in the late 80s, early 90s? Why? Because it's powerful. Because it's true. Young men aren't just going to follow a list. Young men follow an example. You replace drugs there with whatever else. Where did you learn how to follow Jesus? I learned it by watching you, Dad. Where did you learn how to be a good husband? I learned it by watching you. Where did you learn how to think of others more than yourself? I learned it by watching you. It can be destructive things or it can be good things. Be an example. Verse 9, we continue. And this is where we get into some interesting verses in the scripture. And I'm going to do my best to explain them to you. But it talks about bond servants. It talks about slavery. Verse 9 says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. This is a tough little passage of scripture right here because if you read it on the surface, you think that the Bible is, is saying that slavery is okay, but that's not what's happening here. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you'll find over and over that there are uh, slave masters that become Christians that release their slaves. A great example of that is the book of Philemon. Uh, Philemon runs off. He's the slave of a guy named Onesimus. And he runs off and he comes back and Onesimus forgives him and releases him from his debt of slavery. What Paul is speaking to here is Christian slaves or Christian bond servants that have unsaved masters. And the bond servants, or, or he could be speaking as well to bond servants that where the transaction was more like an employer-employee because many times uh, during this time there were people that actually wanted to be slaves because it could increase your lot in life, so to speak. If you were starving and you became a slave, then you're under the umbrella of someone's household. So he could be speaking to that as more like an employer-employee. But he gives four qualities that servants are to have. Let's just call them servants. And this applies very well to work, like if, if you're an employer and you're underneath an, employ, uh, an employee and you're underneath an employer. Uh, number one, he says, be productive. Number two, be pleasing. Number three, be polite. And number four, be principled. Follow these four things. When you're at work, these are great to follow. Now, the goal with this was simple, and it echoes everything we've talked about with every group of people that we've been through so far. The goal is, above all else, even if you're a bondservant or you're a slave, your conduct and your example will win people to Jesus without you saying a word. That's the idea here. The idea is, even if you're a slave, you're thinking of your masters more than yourself. Even if you're a slave, you're serving. You're following these principles in the hopes that the people that are over you will hear about Jesus and get saved as a result of your example. Make sense to everybody say amen? There's a story about a uh, pastor named St. Francis of Assisi over in England uh, who had a big church and he had a young preacher uh, that wanted to preach with him, get a hold of him and say, hey, one day can I like go with you when you go preach and, and uh, give a sermon maybe and, and just tag along with you and, and, and we could do that together. And St. Francis said, sure, meet me tomorrow morning here bright and early when the sun comes up, meet me at the church and uh, we'll go preach. Okay, we'll go preach together. Well, he met him. And they walked through the city, and they would come upon homeless people. And St. Francis would stop, and they both would pray with the people. And then they went to the soup kitchen where people that were 
hungry and starving were and they would pray with people. They went to the hospitals and they prayed with people that were needing healing and struggling. They went to widows' houses and they prayed with widows. They went to orphanages all day long and the sun finally goes down and it's the summertime and it's late at night and and they go back to the church and the young preacher, the young aspiring preacher looks at St. Francis and says, we didn't preach any. Like, are we going to preach at all? Like, we didn't preach any. And St. Francis was quoted as saying this, every step we took, every word we spoke, every action we did has been a sermon. Listen, y'all. Josh Cardwell can become the greatest orator of Scripture. Man, every time I hit a platform like this, I can stand in front of hundreds of people and be like, man, just teach in a way that is unbelievable. But if I'm not setting an example with my life, if I'm not preaching a sermon with my life, then it's all for ruin. Is everybody with me Say, amen? Revolution Church, listen, y'all, we're doing something different here. In America, we think success in church is when we're doing this right here. This is the scoreboard, right, that we've had for years. Put a bunch of butts in seats, get a big building, make sure you have a big youth ministry, put attractive people on the stage that know how to preach and know how to teach. We could be successful in those areas, and those aren't bad things. But if we, as a church, are not preaching the gospel with our lives 24-7, 365, then what we're doing right now doesn't mean jack squat. It don't mean nothing. We're just doing religion. We're just getting together and doing what every other 110 churches in Crossville are doing on Sunday if we're not making a difference with our lives and setting an example because everybody is poking their heads through the blinds watching us. He closes this chapter really by answering the question, why do we want to be an example? Why do we want to have the qualities that Paul is telling us here? And quite simply, the answer is because we're looking for people to get saved, y'all. We're looking for people to be changed by the Word of God and the Gospel. He gives us really this outline of the three phases of salvation. If you didn't know there are actually three steps to the process of salvation. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. If you want more information on that, about two months ago, I did a sermon on the helmet of salvation. Go find it online. Go watch that for about 45 to 50 minutes, and you'll be a theological giant when it comes to the doctrine of salvation and the three phases of salvation. Listen to what he says. He goes through these three phases quickly. In verse 11, he says, why are we, why are we doing it? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Paul here is speaking to justification. That moment, in other words, when we all said that prayer and got saved. That moment where we were free from the penalty of sin, where God redeemed our life. We had this epiphany. The Greek word here is actually where we get the word epiphany. You were sitting in a church service like this. You were reading your Bible at home. You were watching a, a sermon on TV or something like that. And you had this thought, I'm a wretch. And I'm in need of God's grace. This is what he's speaking to, justification. He continues and he says, after justification, what happens is our salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He's speaking here to sanctification. The fact that when you get saved, there's this time period from when you get saved until you die and go to heaven. 
And in that time frame, you have the power of the Holy Spirit guiding and leading you, sanctifying you to become more like Christ. In other words, you're free from the power of sin in your life because now you are saved or as some would say, being saved. It's interesting in this part of sanctification where we're trying to be more like Jesus while we're on this earth after we get saved. Paul uses a word for teaching that is used to describe a child being taught. He could have used another word that actually had to do more with instruction that builds knowledge, but Paul says, nope, while we're being sanctified on this earth, we're like little kids in a preschool class that the Holy Spirit is teaching. Childlike faith, you know? And I'm like Bart Simpson every single day writing sentences at the end of the school day. Anybody with me? Say amen. Like, that's me. My name's on the board with check marks next to it. You know what I'm saying? But, but he's teaching us. And then he continues and says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's glorification. That's the fact that one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be free from the presence of sin. We're going to be in a perfect place with a perfect Savior and a perfect body. And by the way, this is where our focus is while we're on this earth. We don't consider ourselves citizens of the United States as much as we love our country. No, we focus on the fact that our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. We focus on things below. We focus on what? On things above. Glorification. You hear Christians say, glory! We're going to go to glory one day. That's what they're talking about. Look at your neighbor and say, glory! That's what he's talking about. we got something to look forward to. The third part of salvation, when your salvation is complete. Just to finish it out, he says, He who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So here's the idea. Why do you want to be an example? Why do you want the qualities that Paul gives for each specific age group here, which you know just about all of them apply to us, but he gets very specific with genders and with age groups here. Why? Because we want people to get saved. We want people to know that Jesus can redeem your old life if you'll put your trust in Him and He'll forgive you. We want people to know that not only that, not only that, when you get saved, He's going to give you something called the Holy Spirit that's going to live inside you and teach you and guide you in this life on earth until you die. But when you die, that's when you get the ultimate reward because when you die, that's when Jesus is going to meet you for eternity, forever. Amen, Rev Church. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. I thank you for every single person that is here, God. I pray this prayer for myself and maybe some folks need to piggyback on my prayer. I pray, God, that I am the proper example, that I exude the qualities that you have laid out here. God, I pray that I am different than the world, that, that I think of myself different, that I don't allow the way the world sees me and wants me to think about, my, oh, I'm older and I can't do nothing and everything's supposed to be young and sexy nowadays. And we buy into that junk in the church, God. I pray that we follow what the Bible says and we believe what the Bible says about us. God, you've got a purpose for every single person under the sound of my voice. Every age group, every gender. There's only two genders. I want to make that clear. But like everybody in here. Okay, I didn't want that to sound weird, y'all. But God, you've got a purpose for everybody. So I pray that we would step up to the plate and do what you've told us to do and be who you've called us to be. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.